Uncivilized Conversations. I'm your host, Gabriella, and today we have the founder of Bike Lane Uprising and fellow cyclist, Christina Whitehouse. Hello, Christina. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. So as a fellow cyclist in Chicago that has benefited from Bike Lane Uprising for quite some time, I am personally thrilled to have you on, a little geeked out. (laughs) Yeah. For those just hearing about it now, they don't know what Bike Lane Uprising is. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? Uh, So Bike Lane Uprising is a civic tech platform. And essentially what it is, is it's a database for documenting bike lane obstruction. So somebody blocks a bike lane or there's a pothole or, you know, some other maintenance issue, a cyclist can document that and they can go to our database either via our mobile app or our website and they can submit that bike lane obstruction. And from there, we do all of the mapping, all of the data analysis, and then um, you know, we work to actually reduce the amount of bike lane obstructions in the future and improve some of the maintenance issues. Yeah, I personally keep getting updates. <laughs> I'm like, all right, what streets do I need to be careful? <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing from our heat maps. You can actually look at them and you know, you can, kind of see where either other cyclists are reporting or just where there's potential problem zones to where maybe you want to pick a different route. Mm, That's interesting. Do you have on the map, you have access so people can access different routes as well or see a better? So um, everyone has access to our maps and our database feed. Um, If you go on the website right now, uh, you can filter the maps, you can switch it from different types of maps. We have three different types of maps. There's heat maps, so you can see like hotspots of bike lane obstructions. Mm -hmm. You can um, look at the cluster maps, the pinpoint maps. You can also filter by obstruction type and then um, also by like different cities. And you can start to see like some analytics that go along with those cities. Super beneficial, guys. Mm -hmm. I've used it. The hotspot one is my personal jam. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you were a cyclist. How did this whole thing come about? Because for people that don't know, you kind of had an experience yourself that triggered this. Yeah. Um, So I was downtown Chicago. I was biking in a bike lane on Franklin and a driver of a commercial truck, a beer truck, came up on my left and I was coming to the stoplight, uh, stopped at the stoplight, the beer truck uh, was coming up on my left. They started to roll through the red light and they actually turned so sharply that they were on the sidewalk to my right. They were in oh the process of completely pinning me. Um, I was using both hands to push myself off of the side of the truck to prevent myself from going under the back wheels. I realized that the driver, um, a couple of blocks away, I was able to catch back up with the driver. I anticipated that that driver did not know what had happened. We all hear that, you know, big trucks have blind spots and so on and so forth. I wanted to scare that person half to death and let Mm -hmm. them know what had happened. I caught up with them just as they were about ready to go under Lower Wacker, uh, right by Monk's Pub. And they they said that, yes, they did know that they had almost run me over. (gasps) And they were completely stone-faced about it. And they just took off again. Oh, I tried to reach out God. to the company that that driver worked for. I was unsuccessful in getting past the receptionist. I called back multiple times, tried getting creative online, just could not get anyone's attention. 
And two weeks later, the first share bike rider in the world was killed in Chicago. And mm -hmm. our circumstances were extremely similar. And it just kind of stuck with me. I, after I graduated the next summer um, from grad school, it was still kind of with me. And I was like, hey, I was at game night with friends. Uh, I mentioned, hey, you know, here's this idea that I have for, you know, creating like some way to like document this. And um, all of my friends were, thought it was a good idea. And I made this little proof of concept thing and it just kind of spread virally. It was just this little passion project. At no point in time did I think Bike Lane Uprising was going to get as big as it is now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you guys are also you're continuing to evolve and because it's so much it seems like such a labor of love that you have but also so receptive to us as fellow cyclists and just the community as a whole so you're doing a couple different projects right now i've seen you do some collaborations with different bike shops in the area i'm personally from yeah. chicago um you have some gear as well and you've kind of expanded to other cities now what is that looking like we spread via word of mouth around chicago as well as on the news and then from there other cyclists in other cities found out and they wanted to also be a part of it um, we're not unique in the problem of bike lane obstructions and you know cyclists getting hit and killed and with that, um, we added one city, then another city, and then now it's just open to all of North America. So anyone in North America, uh, we have a following in Canada as well. Wow. Um, anyone is able to download our mobile app and submit bike lane obstructions, and they all get mapped out the same way. Um, so if you sign up in Chicago and you end up moving to, let's say, LA, the same app works for you. There's nothing different about how you submit. And cyclists that bike where they live often travel and they bike where they go to. So um, a cyclist is a cyclist and it's nice to just have that one um, one stop shop. And as far as, you know, partnerships and things like that, we so Bike Lane Uprising, you know, it was just this little passion project that I had created. There was really no plan for it to become a thing. It was something that I actively tried to hide on the Internet. And then really? it ended up on the, yeah, because it was just like my little thing that I was noodling with. It was just like a little like thing <laughs> that, you know, and nobody knew I was doing this. And then uh, how many years in did people start to kind of oh, just a couple of months? Oh, wow. Yeah, I had started researching bike lane obstructions. And within a couple of months, it was on the news. It was like the feature story every single night on every single news channel. It just exploded. And it was just this proof of concept little thing. You know, it wasn't meant to be that big at that point in time. It was just for research at that time. Well, for those that don't know, you've been featured on many things. NPR, Washington Post, ABC. The list is endless. <laughs> Obama. Obama. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like casually, casually. Yeah. Yeah. So at no point in time did I anticipate any of that. And when it when it caught the news media attention, you know, at that point in time, my friends didn't even know that I was doing this. So they found out on the news. Incredible. Uh-huh. <laughs> so with that, uh, you know, I was also paying for everything. And it was very small at the time. So it was, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And it got very big, very fast. So I also come from the world of product design and development. So, uh, mm. and also people really like our logo and just want it on things. It's great. 
we sell merch <laughs> uh, as a way to offset some of the costs. Um, it's not totally covering all the costs, but I think uh, people like our logo. And I come from the design world, so I try to make things that are a little more approachable. They're not totally like the like the Lycra cyclist kind of aesthetic. It's a little more of just like people that commute, things like that. Um, and it's also incorporating a decent amount of like safety elements. So uh, we have a fanny pack that's all reflective, reflective jackets that are all reflective, uh, working on some new stuff too that might be coming out somewhat soon. Ooh. And yeah, uh, it seems to help us kind of spread the word as well. And from that, at no point in time did I think I was going to have a database for documenting bike lane obstructions. And I certainly didn't think I was going to have a merchandise line. So uh, a way to make things a little bit easier um, on us is to work with bike shops, local bike shops, and actually have our merch sold in bike shops. And we've, I think, kind of proven who we are over the years and kind of where our heart is and, you know, kind of shown what we're all about. And from that, so far, we have two bike shops that carry um, our merch at no profit to their store. All profits go back to Bike Lane Uprising. Wow. That's how much that those stores care about the biking community. Um, and, you know, it's not just a, oh, yes, we care about the biking community because that's how we make our business. But, you know, they're actually very involved with the biking community. Big on, you know, getting new cyclists in, teaching, educating, and, you know, just kind of sharing the passion that they have. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, Bike Lane Uprising, what you guys have done is created a platform where other people can kind of hop on and be like, oh, I want to teach people how to fix a flat. Oh, I want people to be safe. And guys, get on the gear. It's fantastic and highly reflective. There is <laughs> nobody that could possibly not see you in this jacket or fanny pack. It's amazing. It's, I love it. I have them myself. We <laughs> our fanny packs are actually like even the fixie kids likes our likes our like you know safety gear. It's kind of funny. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, they sold so we got one batch um and we were just kind of testing how they did and they sold out in like an hour. Mm -hmm. We posted on social media at like a really weird time that they had arrived and from getting them in the front door from the delivery person to posting them online, I mean, it was within just like a couple of minutes and they went like hotcakes. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I had to wait. I got the second okay. batch. Mm -hmm. I waited too long for the first one. I'm like, I'm not going to make that mistake again, guys. I mean... I don't know. There were there must have been a, quite a few people online at like the weird like weekday hour because I mean they just like went. Yeah, I mean they're beneficial and also too. Again, you guys go back to safety and practicality, which is really important. Like that's nice that things are cute, but you make it functional enough so it's not just like oh this is a cute fanny pack that doesn't actually fit the things that you need while you're on a bike. It's like no, if you need to fit a water bottle, if you need to fit your phone. I put dog treats in there because that's who I am. Yep. <laughs> it is bottle of Malort approved. It, uh, I didn't think that was going to work, but it definitely worked. <laughs> yeah. And like, not just about the functionality and the aesthetic and stuff too. It's also about like a price point. A lot of the biking gear is very expensive and we, mm -hmm. there tends to be a lot of companies that go after and like are, you know, hoping to facilitate making things better for, you know, very high income cyclists. 
and we're kind of the everybody cyclists. Our niche demographic is people that don't like getting run over by cars. So <laughs> we kind of have everybody. We try to have things at a price point that are, you know, approachable. And again, you know, the merge allows our platform to be completely open. So there are no paywalls on our website, all information, all all articles, everything, you know, access to the maps, you name it, everything's open. Absolutely. So that the people that can't necessarily afford it are able to be, you know, kind of offset by the people that are able to afford it. Yeah. And you guys really do have a platform where you make it very approachable. So it's not intimidating. I know I've been every different level of cycle. Aggressively welcoming. Yeah incredibly warm, incredibly welcoming. And you also do something. So along with your merch, you also have the option where people can go and buy a set of bike lights for other people. So that's your way of kind of paying it forward back to the community as well. Yeah, there's two options. And this came about last summer in August. So in like mid or late August or something like that, I was out on the lakefront. And then one of our followers emailed the next morning and they they were like, hey, you know, do you know where we can get some bulk lights? And it just so happened that when I was on the lakefront the night before, I just saw so many people without lights. And so our heads were definitely in the same place. And this follower and their friends had already decided that they were just going to throw down some money and just do it. So worked with them. You know, they felt that it was more appropriate to come from the Bike Lane Uprising platform. And we have the infrastructure and the website and, you know, all of that kind of already set up. So it worked. And then um, we were hoping to get, um, you know, as many lights funded as possible. But we quickly realized that we didn't want to get the disposable lights, you know, battery powered lights. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. tend to be the lights that are given out. One, they're just not very bright. You know, cyclists that do have them, if you're riding and you think, people can see you well it's almost more of a disservice because you're riding like people can see you but if you didn't have lights you would drive, ride a little more defensively and when we do mm -hmm. bike light giveaways we look for people that don't have lights so if you're riding with disposable lights definitely consider upgrading but from that uh we realized that we could just buy lights as the same quality that we would be comfortable riding with and we decided for our bike light giveaway, we weren't going to do disposable. We figured if we were going to be giving lights away, you know, to anybody, especially, you know, people that are, you know, tighter on funds, you know, changing batteries is probably not going to ever happen. So we wouldn't ride with those. So why would we want somebody else to ride with those? Uh, so we just sprang for the USB rechargeables. Uh, we got front and back lights. So everyone that gets bike lights gets the front and the back. And for a while, the only lights that you could buy on our website, you couldn't actually receive them. You could only sponsor them for somebody else. We had hoped mm -hmm. to get 100 sponsored. That was our big goal. Uh, we're like, 100 would be super cool. And uh -huh. when we finish out our current round, um, we're about halfway done with our current round. We'll be at 2000. Wow. Yeah. That's remarkable. We started it here, uh, got familiar with how to do it. None of us had ever done it. We're mm -hmm. very good at finding cyclists without bike lights now. And we, you know, spread them in, you know, far and wide within the communities. We have street teams. We do bike, 
you know, like giveaway blitzes, I mean, you name it. We work with, um, you know, like groups like Working Bikes where they actually donate bikes and then our lights come with the bike. And I mean, and then that process has now been replicated in other cities. We have done bike light giveaways in Minneapolis, in um, D.C., uh, we're currently doing bike light giveaways in the Bay Area of California as well as Nashville. And then we're raising funds for Boston, Detroit, and another round in Chicago. And we're about halfway done. Wow. It's a lot of lights. So, yeah, that's incredible. That was honestly my thought, too, because a lot of times when people donate, the first thing I was going to ask, and you had already answered it, when you're giving when you're giving things away, if they don't have lights, if they don't have gear, it's they don't they can't afford it. So the fact that you guys thought ahead and just sprung for the USB is an incredible difference. And it really does make a difference for them. If they don't have money for bikes, what, they're not going to continue to get batteries. It's something that, you know, they're not going to have to replace every year. So essentially, I feel like we're, we've made the financially, you know, fiscal, fiscal responsible choice of, um, mm-hmm. you know, going for the, the USB rechargeable because, you know, even the disposable ones, if you know, if we're doing this every year and the same person's getting free bike lights every year, then that's not actually worthwhile. That's probably more expensive. And a lot of the people that we stop, especially, you know, people that might be lower income, they say, yes, they want it. And then their next question is how much. And when they hear that it's free and that like it was just paid for, not by some corporation and just some other random person just out there, I mean, one person stated that receiving free bike lights during the pandemic was the nicest thing that happened to them in months. I mean, people state that they don't usually bike late at night because they don't have lights. I mean, you know, people are caught, like we've caught people outside of the grocery store to where it's getting dark and they're like, I'm usually not out this late and, you know, just giving lights, Um, coming and going from work at, you know, fast food restaurants. Uh, the food couriers uh, have been targeted as well. We gave them uh, bike lights. Uh, they very much like us now. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple friends be on the benefiting end of that. That's Really? Incredible. Did they know what Bike Lane Uprising was prior to that? Or was that their first? One of them did. Okay. Uh, one of them did. There's another one that kind of did. Okay. And then he was just kind of like, well, I for sure know them now. I yeah. was like, check it out. It took me a while, too, because I had known about you guys and I didn't have the app for the longest time uh-huh. and finding the hotspots, especially, too. I actually I recommend it uh, for like local bike shops when people are new. They're kind of intimidated, like biking in a city is very different than cycling on a trail or in the suburbs or even in different states from city to city. It's going to change. So the fact that when you have the heat, the heat maps, which is beautiful, but you also have these sources that people can get involved. So on your Instagram, you actually have, I believe, a link in your bio that gives a bunch of information and resources for people that are new to cycling to feel more comfortable. Yep. And, you know, just articles, insights, you know, some people are interested in cameras, but they don't know which one we did. We had all of our followers just provide, you know, reviews on the cameras that they personally purchased and provided videos and, you know, screenshots and you name it. Uh, And then we did, we've done like synthesis on that and just provided, you know, like, Hey, if you're a beginner, if you're on a budget, if you're riding a share bike, if you're, you know, looking for ways to attach it, here's some different 
ways. Um, and anything from like, here's your high, you know, cost options to like, here's some, you know, um, more entry level, you know, uh, budget friendly options. And then, um, you know, like different gear for different seasons. And again, it's coming from people that also may not have had a lot of money throughout the years too. So it's not just like, yeah, buy the $500 thing. It's like, oh, here's some interesting <laughs> tips that you may not have thought about that, you know, if you're on a budget, these will get you through, especially for like winter yeah. cycling. That's where a lot of the insights come in. Um, and then just like articles and stuff too. Um, we recently had an article get quite a bit of attention on um, the Dear Chicago uh, article. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had a chance to read that, but uh, that came from one of our followers. Uh, we tend to get CC'd on a lot of emails, especially to uh, city officials when cyclists are trying to reach out and resolve problem areas and highlight problem areas before something horrific happens. And one particular cyclist, they just kept on getting ignored by their alder. And what they didn't know is I was actually being CC'd to the same alder from other people that were also trying to highlight problems in that board. And they were also getting oh, wow. ignored. And, um, you know, I offered the, our follower a chance to write an article and they did. And it was a very insightful article about just kind of the state of things in Chicago within the biking community and, you know, where people feel as far as like their safety goes. Um, not very good. Spoiler, not very good. <laughs> yeah. And even looking at the bike lanes now, I feel like we have come so far, but we still have so much further to go and it's going to take an entire community to continue to speak up and say, no, this is the most green. It's good for the environment. It's good for one another. It's good for the community in general. This is something that we should be investing in that really doesn't take that high of a percentage in the grand scheme of things when we're looking at budgetary restrictions for a city. And in the past year, oh, we saw biking just explode. We saw it explode in Chicago. Mm -hmm. We saw it explode across the globe. Um, you know, as people tried to, you know, refrain from using public transit due to um, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then also just because people needed to exercise and just kind of clear their mind and stress and um, for what other, you know, reasons they might have. And from that, we saw really big biking groups pop up in demographics that are often completely disregarded. Um, uh, black people do bike and uh, city officials after this past year are not going to be able to continue to say black people don't bike here because we're seeing it. We're seeing it out on the streets. We're seeing very large biking groups start up with very experienced cyclists and um, they deserve safe infrastructure too. Everyone deserves, deserves safe in, infrastructure. Absolutely. And that was a huge thing too, that it's absurd anyone would even make that as a statement or some sort of argument, because if you are from lower income neighborhoods, which are, are the least taken care of, like a lot of the street lights are out, the streets are uneven. And then on top of that, obviously, if they don't even have like a smooth street, they're not going to have a bike lane. But if you think about it, lower income are a lot of people that are like, they can't afford transportation, they can't afford a car, they can't afford the bus, things like that. So it makes no sense why those aren't implemented in our city. 
And that's a really good point because you guys make it so accessible. It's really important for people to understand biking is not just once you get to the point of a certain income tax bracket where you can buy $500,000 bibs. A lot of these people are using this as their main source of transportation. That was myself included for quite some time. And what inadvertently happened from our bike light giveaway was a essentially a yearbook of everyone that's been biking that oftentimes you don't notice. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we did um, when maybe there was like things on TV that were political in the sense that I just didn't want to sit home and watch it, um, we would go out and do bike light giveaways. And so there'd be like a presidential debate going on and then we'd be out on the street giving away bike lights instead. And (laughs) we were just posting photos of happy cyclists receiving bike lights. And I think that just resonated a lot with people. And, but from that, it just kind of continued on that we take photos because it lets people know that, yes, we are actually giving these away. Like, you know, two of your friends receive these bike lights and complete happenstance. And, you know, we want people to actually know that they are making it to people. And, you know, it really kind of hits home that it's like in your neighborhood. You can actually see how we're giving them away. You can see the types of people that are actually going to be impacted by this. And from that, we kind of just have this collection of a bunch of cyclists that bike. They bike at night. They bike, you know, to and from work at night. They're they're biking in Chicago. We did a bike light giveaway um, up north and it was February and it was like almost negative 14 degrees out and there were people all biking. Yep. And those are the people that need those lights. Those are the people that need them. <laughs> exactly. So it kind of became this like proof that like, yes, these people do exist. And yes, we are. Biking. Yeah. And I'm loving that. And my hope, I don't know if I assume you agree, but my hope is that moving forward, it's lovely that we see these things, you know, they're starting to put posts between the bike lanes and drivers. We're seeing it off Milwaukee. We're seeing it in Logan and Wicker. And that's lovely. But we need to see that in neighborhoods, not just after gentrification, but to be preemptive and to really implement that throughout our entire city, especially on South and West sides, especially for black and brown folks that are using these as their main port of transportation. And also maybe connect them. Yeah. (laughs) It's a novel idea. Wouldn't it be nice if we had, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we had things like the 606 that went to South side, went a little bit more West and. Or just any bike lane that was connected to another bike lane instead of just ends. (laughs) That would make too much sense. (laughs) So we talked about, I mean, you mentioned Obama, which is pretty incredible and something you should be very proud of. What kind of, within all of this, and especially amidst the pandemic as well, you talked about speaking to some older people too. What kind of feedback or rebuttal have you gotten from elected officials? I think it's going to vary by where their heart is with biking. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some city officials that, I mean, biking is their main form of transportation, so I don't have to tell them anything. They already know. And then there's, there's other officials that, you know, they might not bike, but they see that it needs to be there. And, you know, they're very adamant about, you know, helping out. And then, you know, like if, if we tweet at certain alders and the city officials, like oftentimes we'll get a response and some sort of reaction, like action to like a company within an hour. Oh, wow. Uh, there's been quite a few circumstances like that. 
But then there's other alders that they actively try to get bike infrastructure removed from the ward. And because people sign up to submit to Bike Lane Uprising, because they actually have a contributor profile, there's information that we ask. And from that, we've been able to fill meetings that were kind of hush-hush meetings that had like less than 24, 48 hours notice. And they weren't advertised mm -hmm. anywhere. And um, the, the goal was to potentially remove the bike lanes. And we were able to fill those meetings with cyclists, not just any cyclists, only cyclists from their ward. Wow. Within 24 to 48 hours. Correct. That's amazing. Also, we've had the unfortunate task of holding vigils for cyclists that have been killed. Also, we put those together in like three hours. Wow. I know. I've been to, unfortunately, one or two. We definitely don't spam people, or at least I like to think that we don't spam people. Um, I don't like spam emails, so we try not to send anything like that out. Um, it should be like a newsletter that you actually find um, useful. But when something really big happens, like, you know, there's been a couple of deaths to where we've, you know, used it to like reach out, um, especially when some of the cyclists were unknown, um, we reached out to a couple of people that had like submitted bike lane instructions in those areas to see if they, you know, if one, if they were okay, and two, if, you know, if they might know more information. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, when um, Carla was killed up north, um, Mm -hmm. You know, nobody knew who the cyclist was. And uh, within a couple of hours, no one in Chicago knew who was killed. And we had over 100 people that came out. Wow. And nobody knew who it was. And again, we're all connected. People just came out. They didn't know who the person was. We all identified that it very much could have been any one of us. And that's kind of the camaraderie that we're trying to build. When I first started to dip my toe into the biking world, I didn't necessarily think that the biking world appeared very friendly. And it seemed like you had to have the right thing and you had to do all the right things. And it was complicated and it didn't seem very like accepting of, you know, the different types of people that might be biking um, or different types of riders, you know, different riding styles. And yeah. Um, I think that we've worked really hard to cross, you know, the boundaries of different biking groups and just like getting everyone kind of mixed up and, you know, kind of interacting with one another. Um, I really don't care what kind of bike people ride. I don't care what height your sock is. I don't care. Um, <laughs> that just doesn't matter to me. <laughs> yeah. A cyclist is a cyclist is a cyclist and all of those lives matter. Yeah. That's really important. We've also created a directory of um, biking groups. So as you had mentioned, you know, if you're first starting out or if you just kind of do your own thing, you might not totally be comfortable biking on a lot of the city streets. Like maybe you just feel comfortable on the lakefront or maybe you just feel comfortable like in your neighborhood, you know, back streets, but you're not totally comfortable doing like errands because it would cause you to like be on some streets that aren't totally um, comforting for you. And with the biking groups, you can explore more of the city. You can, you know, maybe just 
meet new people. There's different demographics. There's, you know, people that ride fast. There's people that ride slow. You can kind of find where your niche is and um, kind of go from there. There's big groups. There's little groups. Um, we have a lot of uh, groups in Chicago listed right now. But, you know, as it grows, um, imagine going to a different city and not knowing the landscape and just being able to jump into a group ride. So. They're all incredibly welcoming to anyone yeah. affiliated with you. I know BFF Bikes yep. specifically has different rides for different yep. levels of how quick you want to go. Uh, Westtown Bikes, they did, they've they always done a, quite a few rides, but they did a justice ride as well, which is really important for like black and brown youth within the community. That was really nice. So there's a lot of really beautiful things that come out of it. And especially since COVID, within the midst of COVID and now after, as things are starting to open up again, people are have been really receptive to realizing, oh, not only is this good for my mental and physical health, but it's also really nice to have community. And I've definitely been on either side of that spectrum where I'm just like, oh, I'm I, there's like a cool kids club for biking and you're so not that <laughs> it's really beautiful. You guys are cool in the most genuine way and open and warm and welcoming way. in the most genuinely not cool way. We're cool. <laughs> if being caring and genuine is uncool, I will be a dweeb any yeah. day. I'm cool with that. I mean, yeah, we don't try We're not trying to be like some cool trendy, whatever. Um, we're just trying to let people, you know, have safe avenues to get to and from where they need to get to wherever that A and B point might be. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we actually don't sell a bike jersey. Really? We wanted to kind of show a little more friendly, approachable, you know, kind of a a vibe. Um, the closest we have gotten is a dry fit t-shirt. Nice. Yeah. Approach. <laughs> so I know we talked about it a little bit, just so everybody knows where can they find you? Where can they find all of these beautiful resources, your Instagram, your website? So bikelaneuprising.com is our website. That's kind of the launch pad to where if you're looking for anything about us, you can find it there. There's articles, there's all sorts of things on there. There's also links to our social media at the bottom. You can sign up for our newsletter. We're active on Twitter and Instagram. Wonderful. Well, Christina, thank you so much. Yes. It has been a pleasure. It's so nice to put a face to a name and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we found you. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so happy you guys are around and thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to find me, I'm under Uncivilized Conversations on Instagram. Thank you so much. Take care.